All right, welcome back to From Eight Arbitration. And I've got the man himself, <laughs> Mr. Bob Ross, is in studio. Um, that's JB's nickname, if y'all didn't know, is Bob Ross. And I think if you go on to from8arbitration.com, when you go on episodes, you'll see JB back when he had hair. He looked just like Bob Ross. <laughs> and so <laughs> if you get on there and look at it, it, it it's... It's quite, uh, it's quite interesting. The, uh, <laughs> but uh, I've got my man here today. Uh, he's going to do salted peanuts for y'all. A lot of people have been reaching out to JB, and he is humping it right now, uh, trying to help people out, and I appreciate him. He knows that. Uh, so without further ado, uh, here is JB, a.k.a. Bob Ross, and uh jb have at it hey whatever you want to talk about man it's all yours okay all right got it okay <laughs> all right so here he is i'll be on the uh back on on the back end of it and so uh it's all yours man well all right guys it's good to be back out good to be back in the studio uh appreciate Corey having me out again and uh bob ross uh it's kind of funny it came about you know, with some of the episodes that I listen, I'm a huge fan, just like everybody. I I love listening in, and uh, today I was out delivering my route, listening to the latest episode from yesterday from the uh, historic decision that came down. But I had made the comment not too long ago. Sometimes it's uh it's intimidating, you know, to come on the the podcast. You know, I said it's almost like you know. When you listen to Corey Walton, it's like going to an ACDC concert. And then you come home and you turn on Bob Ross and watch painting. That's what listening to JB's like, <laughs> watching Bob Ross paint. So it, the nickname is stuck now. I'm Bob Ross, and I'm here to have a fantastic adventure on this painting today. But nevertheless, I do appreciate being able to come out. Um, you know, I think Corey's done a fantastic job. I'm going to touch on that a little bit more in a second, but... Um, I do appreciate a lot of the people that have reached out. And let me tell you, I'm going to go ahead and apologize because I know that I've not gotten to everybody. And I'm trying. I, I'm trying. Um, there, there's responses that I give all the way up till 9 or 10 o'clock at night just trying to reach out. Last year in my installation, and it's 16 city stations. Now, I'm the formal Step A representative for that. Some of you out there represent much bigger installations. Some of you represent much smaller. I'm one Formal A working on 16 city stations. We had 514 grievances last year. I did a summary recap at our January meeting for the entire 2022 year and was very proud of the numbers and the percentages, the win rate, the discipline win rate, the contractual winnings that we had in grievances, and this year, right now, given this current rate, we're going to double that. And I don't know what that's a testament to. I don't know if it's change in leadership from the old district manager to this new district manager. I don't know if that's just a new temperament from, um, you know, the, the grievances that were filed last year, if this is repercussion for that. But whatever the case may be, we are now on pace to double. We're going to go over a thousand grievances if we keep up with this rate just after two months. I always said peak season. Management pretends to be too busy really to pay much attention to letter carriers, and this is a normal pushback 
<clears throat> through January and February. Peak season's over, start using pressure, intimidation tactics, discipline. You see those things. You see an uptick in those things usually after peak season. So it's not uncommon to see an uptick in discipline, but right now I'm seeing a tremendous uptick in disciplinary grievances, skipping progressive steps in discipline, going from a letter of warning to a removal, just things that are uncommon. But nevertheless, I want y'all to know that I will do my very very best to get you what you need. Hopefully it's an answer to your question. Hopefully it's a template that can assist in your situation. And I just want you to know that I appreciate all the positive feedback. Thank you to anybody that always uh, shares the appreciation, but more importantly, that reaches back out with that win. That's that's what this is about. When somebody reaches back out and says, thank you, I was able to grieve this, I was able to use the information that you gave me, and we won. That is what this is all about, about working together to achieve a goal and win and represent our letter carriers on the workroom floor. That is what I thrive on. I want to see everybody kick ass. I want nothing but kick ass shop stewards. And I feel like I have a strong group. I always tell them thank you because without them, my job would be twice as hard and I would be not as good as I can be without them. Thank you to my branch president. She gives me the resources and everything that I need to be able to perform my job at the best of my ability. My DRT representative has got the, uh, the know-how to formulate a good decision or impasse. And then I have the best in the business when it comes to an advocate. There is. There is none other than the one I have. And nobody else has him, but I do. Based on that, I want to say I listened today while I was delivering mail to the episode from yesterday about the Memphis installation joint statement grievance, the historic award that come out of that. It was something that we had been talking about for quite some time because we had been waiting quite some time for this decision. I know Corey had been waiting. I was not a part of it, but I, I felt a part of it because there had been so much conversation about it, about the the building up to the building of the file, to the formal A meeting, from it getting impasse set for hearing, the two-day hearing. The, the arbitrator was a a different type of individual that we were used to, his proceedings, the way he conducted a, an arbitration hearing. Uh, I had been privileged to be in another arbitration with this guy, so I did know how it was kind of unorthodoxed. But nevertheless, it was a long time ago for that hearing. Everybody had been waiting for this decision up to the point we was worried we may not even get one. But when that decision came out and Corey sent it to me, I sent a very simple email back to him. I just replied... Is he serious? That's how unbelievable of a decision it was in my eyes. And I think many eyes, hopefully everybody's eyes, it was that grand of a scale for somebody to finally take charge and change is what we wanted and change is what he's going to try to instill in, in Memphis, Tennessee. And I couldn't be happier but I was listening to that episode, and I, I heard a great deal of accolades for, for Jason Ashley, and, and he's monumental. He's unsurpassed. He, he is very, very knowledgeable. He's represented as an advocate cases that I've had, uh, been a part of being able to be around him on numerous occasions. 
And it made me feel good to hear all the accolades of formal A gifts because Corey's also given me some accolades in my past as far as case file building and testimony and being a, a second closing for an advocate, giving that advocate another weapon to use in hearing. So it made me feel good that he gave Jay a lot of credit in that hearing. <clears throat> but what you didn't hear and what you're never going to hear is Corey getting the credit that Corey deserved. And you'll never hear him talk about how great Corey is. So I'm going to do it for him. Because the man deserves so much credit. There is so many hours of his life that he dedicates from the moment he gets done delivering mail to coming home to cracking open a case file. This guy reminds me of a kid on Christmas morning when he gets a case file. You know how the kids come into the living room and they run in there and they grab all the presents and you got you got wrapping paper and tape and shit flying everywhere and in a matter of five minutes, your living room floor has disappeared. You can't even see it anymore. There's so much wrapping paper and stuff laying on the floor. That's what I, re <laughs> that's what I envision Corey looking like when he comes home and there's a, a fresh case file box sitting on his front porch been delivered and he brings it in here and tears it open he gets started from the moment he gets it and I can say that with positive assurance because every time he tells me I just got your case in the mail I promise you I get a phone call the next day that says I got in your case last night I like what we're doing and we're already talking. And the next day, I'll get a phone call that says, man, I look more in that case. Man, last night I worked in that case. Friday afternoon, I get a phone call. I'm going to be in your case all weekend. That's the kind of dedication that this man has for representing our brothers and sisters. When it comes to an arbitration hearing, he wants to do everything and anything in his power that he can. But along those lines, what you don't know is how gifted this person is. And it goes along the lines that I don't know if we'll ever see another one. And I know he's not going to be too happy with me saying this. And there's no money laying on the table, by the way. There's nothing in front of me to, to say this. But I would be remiss if I didn't say that I feel fortunate to be able to have witnessed it. I would trust Corey Walton to represent any case that I ever had, even if it was my livelihood. Even if I was in trouble in criminal court, Corey Walton would be my guy because he has a gift and he has just an aura about him in a hearing room. He's very quick, very direct, very to the point, very gifted in cross-examination, does a tremendous job on getting the best out of a hearing. I've been fortunate enough to be a witness or a part of 20, 25-something cases with Corey, and I can tell you we have never, and I say we, I was just a part of it, he has never lost a hearing. Have we had a loss before? Yeah, but we won the hearing. And to me, that's a testimony to every step of this grievance procedure. If we can do that at every level, if we can be the best shop steward and develop that case and be more knowledgeable than management when we meet at informal and do the best that we can to represent that grievance at informal step A, 
then we've won that level of the grievance process. And we're passing on a case file to our formal Step A representative that's already put together, ready to go. And then that formal Step A representative can outwork his counterpart, can put together a fully developed case file with written contentions, support and documentation, hitting every point that we possibly could, arguing everything that we can imaginable, and passing that on to our DRT rep, and we've won the formal Step A level, then we've given our DRT representative every possibility to get a decision in favor of us but in case he can't and it is in pass to arbitration, he has now outworked his DRT counterpart, given us an impasse with all the additional contentions, supporting the contentions that we have moved forward from formal to DRT, and now we've given our advocate the best possibility to secure a win, to secure a grievance outcome for an individual at that level. I say these things because, to me, I want my aces in their places. When you're on a team, the worst thing that ever could happen to a team is when you have teammates that aren't seeing eye to eye and a fester starts. And that fester continues along the path of a, a team, a path of a season, <clears throat> and it develops into a cancer. And it starts breaking the team apart. And it starts getting other people agitated with one another until the point a cancer does what cancer is designed to do and it kills the team and it's to the detriment of everybody that's on that team and it tears everything that ever been achieved all comes collapsing down that's the last thing I would ever want to see happen I want everybody to be in the right place Corey is the most gifted arbitration advocate that I've ever gotten to witness and I've seen some others and they've been talented and there may be others out in this country. Uh, I'm just a small Formula A in an installation in Tennessee. There may be others out there, but I'll say this. My man will never, ever talk about himself. He will not give him any kind of credit, but I know the amount of hours that he put in to that case is unprecedented and I know the amount of thought and work and what he does inside the hearing room is unsurpassed. <clears throat> I haven't done a lot of cases. Corey and I, he was actually the formal A, and I was the advocate for a case up in East Tennessee. And after nine and a half hours of hearing, I was the advocate. I, I remember climbing in his car, and I remembered from nine o'clock that morning when the hearing started till 6.30 that night when we concluded the constant grind. The amount of respect I have for an advocate that goes in and is working from the moment he sits down through every sentence that is stated in that hearing, paying attention to every detail, to every comment that is being said, trying to work every angle that can be worked in an arbitration hearing, the grind that it is, is in, unlike anything I could ever explain. I climbed in the car. Luckily, he was driving, and I was asleep in 30 minutes. I was completely mentally drained. So I give any advocate out there the utmost respect. I give Corey Walton all the credit in the world. It was a great case file that was presented to him. Great testimony by Jason Ashley. 
but the orchestrated effort that he pl- uh, displayed in that hearing um, is monumental, and it's monumental in every hearing that he ever has. I could never tell my business agent that I want to do another case unless Corey Walton said, I have too many. I can't do another one. I need somebody else to take this one. Until that moment comes, I want him to get every case because that is what is best for everybody in my region. That is what's best for every letter carrier that has a case going to arbitration is to have Corey Walton representing that case in hearing. So that's my ode to my good friend. I call him a good friend, best friend. Been at it since 2017, and it's been a monumental journey, and I look forward to, to many, many more. But congratulations to you know my business agent, to the RAs, to Jason Ashley, to Corey Walton, to Memphis, Tennessee. What a historic award that is. You need to definitely check it out, read it. It is unbelievable that somebody finally stepped up with the cojones, with the stones, and lay the wood down to an environment as conducive and as bad as Memphis was. So hopefully this is an uptick in their environment. Hopefully this is something that's going to bring a working environment that's harmonious and productive. And hopefully this will be things that we can build upon as a union in the future. So this is the Bob Ross JB edition of Salted Peanuts. I I am not the storyteller or the entertainer that Corey Walton is, but I'll tell you damn what, I love listening to it. it. It's empowering. It's encouraging. It's nothing but trying to embold people to be great. And that's what it is. It's educational. It, 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 like I said, it's empowering. It's about trying to get everybody to stand together unified. And that's what the NALC is. It, it's a, a, a group of individuals unified with common goals and interest. It doesn't mean I may have the same interest as the person next to me. It just means we're all working towards the benefit and the best for letter carriers. And so I definitely am not the best coming on here. I appreciate all the positive responses. I hope if there's anything out there, I've said it numerous times, I've said it every time, if it helps one person, one person in any part of this country be able to get more knowledgeable and better acclimated to filing a successful grievance, then it was worth it. And I can't be happier to do it. It's 7 o'clock on a Monday night. I just got through working and delivering my route. I'm going to switch gears tomorrow. I got three removals I got to get ready by Friday. I got some other grievances I need to check in on, but damn it. I told my man if he ever needs me, I'll be here for him, and this is what I'm going to do tonight. So this is the Salted Peanuts J.B. Bob Ross edition. I've chose three topics, and I've received a lot of emails and requests and Uh, guidance for help on two of these one of them and it's funny because I'll I'll get an email from one person in one part of the country and then the next day I'm getting an email or a request from somebody in another part of the country asking me the same thing it's like there's a, a directive coming from headquarters down to the area regional levels that's deciphering down to the station levels and it's the same thing they're trying to implement 
and it's amazing to me with the 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 resources that are I mean the the amount of people that are reaching out from across the country how similar the problems are in each portion of the country at the same exact time so it tells me that it's just a non-stop reoccurring events and it's usually filtering from the top in a pyramid fashion all the way down to each and every one of us. This first topic is something that I've had some pretty extensive experience with, especially in 2018, 2019. And then it died off, and I'm guessing that was after several pre-arbitration awards, two, no, three arbitration awards, and some monetary payments kicking in eventually, that they decided to take notion and maybe actually do what they were supposed to be doing, and it was to cease and desist. But it was management falsely making inaccurate time codes in our clock rings. And I had two different types in 2018 and 2019. One, I had a manager that was logging into tax, and to try to achieve the 1800 deadline to appease upper management was going in and manually ending letter carriers tours while they were still in the performance of their duties that was one I had that was one example I had the other one that I started seeing was management going in and making manual entries utilizing inaccurate time codes that did not allocate any time towards our duty assignments putting us on a a time clock function function that did not allocate any time to a letter carrier's assignment They took them away from a 721 street time or a 722 office time and would move them to a 782 training time or a 632 meeting time. And while they were in this operational code, that time was not being allocated to their assignment. So I had two different types, and then it died off. Like I said, after multiple pre-arb awards and multiple arbitration awards, we finally got a cessation in that type of activity until this year. And I'll give you the scenario this year because it's not something that you're really searching for. That would be more like a a fishing expedition if you were just requesting random time clock tax rings or tax reports just to quote-unquote see if management was utilizing inaccurate time codes. It's something that you usually see in the investigation of another grievance. The most popular one would be a quarterly overtime grievance because you're requesting such a mass amount of clock rings for an entire quarter, three months worth, and as you're going through those, you notice operational changes. The other one, uh, weekly overtime violations, but in this particular one, I had a letter of warning. Not the most common uh, clock ring type grievance you would be investigating, but I had a letter of warning. And this goes to two things. One, how important it is to check every date. But nevertheless, I was reading management synopsis and they said on March 14th, they had an official discussion with this event, uh, particular CCA. Now, doing my due diligence, I'm going to check any date that management says they did something. I'm going to check every date that is in a disciplinary action. I'm going to check every date that they said they did something. Anything to try to poke a hole in management's position. So I knew I had the clock ring, or I requested the clock ring, matter of fact, on this particular situation. They sent me the clock ring for this kid, and I noticed on 314 he was actually at work. So there was a possibility of a maybe an official discussion that day. But out to the side, I see a manual clock ring entry 
ending this individual's tour and deleting his actual end tour and charging it to a time disallowance, a 1017A entry. Well, that immediately sparked my interest because it was 17 clicks. 17 clicks is odd. That's not a couple of clicks. And then again, any time disallowance has to be notated in the 1017A log because what they're actually saying is the individual was not performing any work and should not have been paid for it. I then went to the quarterly clock rings for the first part of the year, January, February, March. Now, here's a key if you have uh, electronic access, laptop, desktop, computer. When you get employee everything reports, tax reports, and they email them to you in a PDF file, and you download that file and you go to view it in a reader. I use Adobe. That's the, the reader that I have on my computer. When I put that in Adobe and I hit Control F, it will have a drop down box, a find box. And I can type in time disallowance. And it will stop every single time it comes to time disallowance in those clock rings. 700 and some odd pages, it was able to narrow it down to 78 pages worth of time disallowance. 78 times management had went in and deleted somebody's in-tour and manually inputted an in-tour different than what they had and charged them with 1017A. It ended up being a calculated, um, estimated time of 39 hours and 22 clicks. 39 hours and 22 clicks, these EAS management went in and stole time from a letter carrier while they were actually working. We requested the 1017A log. It was blank. It was never fulfilled. It was never documented that this individual had time disallowed, and the letter carrier was notified of the disallowance. They just simply stole from them. When I met at Formal A, this was management's contention. One sentence. It was amazing. No settlement because it's done automatically once the system makes corrections to carrier's errors. How asinine is that? That it's done automatically once the system makes corrections to carrier's <laughs> errors. They couldn't even identify what error. These were letter carriers out there working in the performance of their duties, whether it was PM office time, whether they were doing uh, still out there getting the mail out of their truck. Some cases were minimal, seven, eight clicks, up to 45 clicks, 89 clicks, an hour and 17 clicks. You're going to have a hard time making me believe that it's done automatically once it corrects a carrier's error because they've been working for an hour and 17 clicks according to your own documented, documented tax and <laughs> attendance collection system report to believe you. So we filed a grievance on that. 
The other situation I told you was inaccurate time codes. That needs to be grieved. Especially right now under tie rap. T rap, T a rap, T reap. I, hell, I don't. I've, everybody's got a new rap for it. Tie rap, especially under that. If, if you're seeing management allocate time by making a manual entry and moving a letter carrier to an operational code that is not going to identify time credit to their assignment, that needs to be grieved. I could work nine and a half hours in one day, but if management goes in and makes an operational move, a manual entry, and moves me to training time for an hour and a half, for route adjustment purposes, all it's going to show is JB worked eight hours today. I'm going to get paid for nine and a half, but for operational adjustment purposes, it's going to show eight hours for that assignment. Why do you think they would do that? They don't want you to get a proper adjusted route. They want you to try to fit a square peg in a round hole. Meanwhile, you're not getting the actual credit that you should be getting. That's just a little bit of the background on uh, clock rings. But along those lines, what good is talking about something if we don't know how to grieve it? right? We can have all the knowledge about a particular subject, but if we don't know how to utilize that knowledge, how good is it? I listened to Corey talk about knowledge and love and combining those two things, but also utilizing that knowledge to the benefit, knowing how to utilize that knowledge, extending that knowledge argument. So, I could have all the knowledge about on the subject. I could tell you every handbook and manual provision about time and attendance, about handbooks and manuals. I could tell you anything and anywhere to find it. But if I don't know how to grieve it, if I don't know how to use the power of the 8190 and to be able to support it with documentation, then what good is the knowledge? So I wanted to go over a couple things that may help you in a grievance. More likely than not, you're going to have the clock rings because that's how you became aware of the potential grievance. So, obviously, tax EERs, uh, however you want to request them, however you, if you want a weekly report. You know, when I found out that this individual had time disallowance in March, I went ahead and went and checked the whole quarter. Matter of fact, I checked the fourth quarter from the previous, I mean the um, the fourth quarter from the previous year, um, and they didn't have any in the fourth quarter. It was just that first quarter. So however far back you want to go, because we're going to use the incident date of when the union became aware and be able to write a detailed statement of what you were doing, what you were investigating, and when you became aware that management was either utilizing inaccurate time codes or they were actually taking time away from letter carriers through time disallowance. So we'll have the employee everything report. I found another report that helped allocate this time down to a specific operational code. And if you're unfamiliar with operational codes, if you're a new steward, I would encourage you to get what is called the M32 handbook. That is going to give you, it's the mods handbook. It's going to be the all the operational codes that is utilized in tax. You know, your 721 is street delivery time. Your 722 is office time. 
you know, 354 standby time, 782 training time. It's going to identify exactly what each and every one of those codes are and when they should and should not be used. Okay? It's going to identify that for you. But I found a report, or there is a report. It's not that I found it. I became aware of a report in tax that I found beneficial because back in 2018, I told you we were going through this a lot with inaccurate time codes. I found uh, that management had been doing this for months, months. It, it is amazing. When I tell you the amount of hours in just a second that we were finding that management was stealing out of our units, out of my people, out of the station. So if these routes would have came up for inspection purposes, this time would not have been reflecting towards their assignment. It, it is astronomical. It is mind-blowing. But it's called the Tax Employee Moves Report. And I asked for this report for each operational code. I had a big problem in my installation with management using 782 especially with new CCAs because they didn't want to allow them to be counting against their station numbers even though they had been there for a couple weeks they would leave them and move them to training time all day now you may think well they're still learning if they are contributing to your unit if they are contributing to the station that you are delivering in they are not in a training status anymore 782 should be utilized for in-classroom training, CCA Academy, things of that nature. But they should not be on 782 when they are delivering and making a contribution to your station. If that is happening, you need to file a grievance because they are contributing to your unit and your unit is not getting time for it. So I asked for the Tax Employee Moves Report for Code 782. And I asked for all 13-4, that's full-time regular letter carriers, and 84-4, that's CCAs, that's the DA code, the Designated Activity Code. I do not have PTFs, so I asked for the two uh, Designated Activity Code for the people that I have in my installation. I have full-time regulars, and I have CCAs. I asked it for the entire 2018 year. I also had a big problem with management moving city letter carriers to 632. 632 is meeting time. And their response was, well, we have safety stand-up talks and letter carriers are not performing any work during this time, so they should not be allocated time towards their assignment. I'm going to break away real quick and talk about an M document, an agreement between the United States Postal Service and the NALC. And this is going to be M document 00 605. The parties mutually agree that the following listed work activities may be appropriate for inclusion by the letter carrier for actual time credit. There's key words, actual time credit on line 21 of the form 1838C when such activities are determined to be reoccurring and necessary in the performance of the carrier's office routines. Now they go on to list nine things with some with some 
addendums uh, and amendments there to each one of them. But number two is specifically the one I wanted to emphasize right here. This is the M document. The parties have agreed that these times should be allocated towards letter carriers assignments. And number two says weekly safety talks and other appropriate unit discussions. So management should not be moving me to a 632 operational code unbeknownst to me. I don't even know it. They're doing this while we're out delivering mail. We think we're getting a certain amount of time. Whether whether it was a five-minute safety talk, a 10-minute safety talk, I was seeing they were moving us for about 20 minutes. Now, I've never had a 20-minute safety talk. So they were taking probably about 18 minutes from each letter carrier in that unit on that day that we're never getting credit for. But safety talks are a part of reoccurring and we should be getting allocated that time for. I also had a big problem with them utilizing 743. 743 AIMS. That we were putting on labels every day when we got back. A letter carrier would get back, and instead of them finishing up their PM office duties, management would bump them over into 743, and then that time that they were actually doing their PM office duties, wash-up time, things of that nature, management had already stopped the clock on their assignment because they were now in a function that's not going to allocate time towards their assignment. Then I had them even getting real cute and moving letter carriers to 622 travel time. Travel time is utilized in my installation by CCAs. When a CCA leaves one station and goes to another in my installation, they get paid on the clock. They move to operational code 622 while they're traveling to the next station. When they get to that station, they would move to the appropriate function to continue their day. They were moving letter carriers that are full-time regulars out delivering their assignment in the course of their day would move them to travel time while they're delivering their assignment. But that's an easy, easy um, tax report that you can use. And when you get it back, it just goes in chronological order, day by day, week by week, month by month. It goes by pay periods. And it will give you the grand total for each operational code. So now you got the clock rings. And now you got this employee moves report because you're going to want the clock rings because that's going to show the EIN for the person that did it, and this is very hard to kind of describe, but you'll have the EIN out to the right of the person that did it, but you'll also have this nice breakdown report for an arbitrator to view just to be able to see that grand number because a stack of 700 or 1,400 pages of clock rings is going to be hard to go and add up in arbitration. But when you got a report like the employee moves report over here that has that grand total that you can flip to page 84 in the case file and you can ask that witness to tell that formal A representative to tell the arbitrator how much time was allocated to 782 inappropriately, you can say 574 hours, Mr. Arbitrator. And it's right here. That is a beautiful report to go hand in hand and corroborate your employee clock rings. The case that I told you I had, each one of those time functions had astronomical amount of numbers for their units. When I broke all these down and I went through there by each operational code, I was able to show in one unit, in one station in our installation, with 782 training time, 
I was able to identify 509 hours and 46 clicks that was inappropriately placed into operational code 782. That's equivalent of 21 days and 22 clicks. For a period of one year, they took out of this station the equivalent of 21 days worth of delivery. Looking at operational code 632 meeting time, where they said we was having stand-up talks, allegedly. They took out a 348 hours and 27 clicks out of this station, equivalent to 14 days and 51 clicks. And then last, they took out 440 hours and 83 clicks worth of 622 travel time. This was full-time regular letter carriers out delivering mail, unbeknownst to them. We don't see tax. It doesn't, it's not a reflection on our paycheck. We do not know when these things are taking place. They happen unbeknownst to us. Some sack of shit sitting behind a, a supervisor's desk looking into a computer, uses their login entry, logs into tax, decides to make a manual entry, removing me from a, a time that would reflect an accurate data for my assignment and moves me to an operational code that does not give my assignment the appropriate credit. That's what they do to us. That is what they're in there doing during the course of our days, is moving letter carriers to an assignment that does not give the appropriate value for the work that you are doing. They took out 440 hours and 83 clicks of travel time while we were working. We weren't traveling anywhere. We were going from box to box, if that's traveling, but we were on our appropriate assignment. Robbing. It's stealing. There's no other way to look at it, and it, it has to be grieved. It has to be grieved because your unit is adversely affected by it. The NLC has put out a fantastic guide to falsify, uh, how to identify falsified edited clock rings. I would recommend every new shop steward to go to NALC.org. Utilize that inaccurate time codes handbook. I will also have Jeremy put that uh, literature out on the website. Please be that individual that takes that to task. First of all, we should not be getting stolen from financially, okay? We're going to request those clock rings. We're going to want that 1017A log. We're going to want to be able to identify letter carriers were working. We can identify that with statements, help to build our case file from the letter carrier that, no, I was actually working during this time. I was doing this, this, and this. But we need to file grievances every single time management is stealing from us, whether it be financially or whether it be against our unit, not getting an accurate reflection of data. Because this is what is going to adversely affect you when it comes to route inspection purposes. Well, that was topic one of the Bob Ross edition of... <laughs> salted peanuts a little longer winded than i thought i'd be uh i told cora i said this shouldn't be too long it should be about 45 50 minutes well we're gonna we're gonna go past that but nevertheless <clears throat> moving on the second topic that has been popping up pretty rapidly 
is a lot of carriers are reaching out talking about management is requiring them to finish their PM office duties in five minutes or less. If this is happening in your station, let me tell you where it's coming from. Because in DOICE, in your route base information report, they only allocate you five minutes to complete your PM office time. But there is no rule that solidifies that you only have five minutes to complete your PM office duties. If management is telling you that this is a requirement and they're telling you that you have to be off the clock or you have to clock out and finish your PM office duties, you need to file a grievance. File a grievance that you're not being allowed to completely satisfy your PM office duties. That may even segue into a previously discussed episode about the red line policy. Kind of goes a little bit similar because they're trying to prevent you, they're trying to rush you off the clock as soon as possible. If it only takes you three minutes to come back and put your stuff up and clock out and leave for the day, then so be it. But if it takes more than that, it just takes what it takes. And as long as you're doing productive work that is directly from our M41 handbook, directly from what we're supposed to be doing, then you need to file a grievance if management's prohibiting you from doing that. First of all, Chapter 4 is going to address a letter carrier's PM office duties. Nowhere in Chapter 4, or any handbook or manual for that matter, you will see that you only have five minutes to complete this task. If management is requiring you to clock out and they're telling you to leave everything in the tray, you need to request a 1571 if there is mail that has not been properly dispositioned prior to you leaving because that is protection for a letter carrier. A 1571, if you're not familiar, you need to look it up, but you need to understand a 1571 is called a curtailment slip, meaning you did not get a chance to properly disposition the mail that you brought back from the street and be able to put it in its appropriate section and management prohibited you from doing that, you need to identify that on a curtailment slip and have management sign that because that is your protection walking out that door that you were prohibited from doing your PM office duties. And then management cannot turn around and say you willfully delayed the processing of mail. But chapter four is going to identify exactly the pecking order as we return from the street on what we're supposed to do upon return. You need to read chapter four and identify each step that we're supposed to do upon return. And you'll find that not only do we come back in the building, but we return to our case to make proper disposition of mail that we picked up in the course of our street delivery duties. Okay? Got to be mindful and educate yourself on what to do. Even if you're not a shop steward listening, even if you don't have any grievance handling, you're listening just to be educated and to learn about your craft position, read chapter 4 and understand what you are permitted and supposed to do upon return from delivery. The first thing you're going to do is you're going to clock back in from the street. You're going to move from the 721 street function back to the 722 office function. This is time allocated to your assignment to do your PM office duties. You're going to place your collection mail. 
in the designated location, whether it's in a tub, a tray, however you do it, I'm going to take my collection mail. I'm going to put it in that designated location. I'm going to clear my accountable items. Accountable clerks have disappeared all over the country. But if you still have an accountable clerk, you're going to want to get that accountable uh, clerk and you're going to want to clear out your stuff, whether that's your keys, your gas cards, anything that you had accountable items for that day that you need to clear out with the accountable clerk, you're going to want to take care of that then. Then you're going to process all undeliverable mail. Now this part is where a lot of people are uninformed. To process undeliverable mail... You will read in the M41 handbook, section 44, where it talks about and discusses undelivered mail. And it simply states, follow procedures listed in part 24 to process affordable and undeliverable mail that you didn't process before leaving the office and or that you picked up on the route. I would say this is a very common uh, thing with apartment routes. A lot of turnover, a lot of people put mail back up on the mailboxes, push it back through the mail slots, put it in the outgoing mail, leave it on top of you know the ledge outside of the, um, the centralized doors. You pick up a lot of mail on apartment routes. Well, this mail is to be handled in the office. You bring that mail back for proper processing. After processing, place this mail in throwback case as explained in part 24. So our M41 handbook in section 44, Undeliverable Mail, it tells us to follow part 24. Part 24 is before we leave the route. So if we look in part 24, this is what it's going to tell us we should do. Section 242.1, letter type mail. Then it goes into identify casing. Then you'll see section 111 of 242, case removals to appropriate separation by size and type. Separations are COA entry mail, machinable, and non-machinable. Case removals to proper separation for mail pieces, which are A. Undeliverable as addressed, forwarding order expired, attempted not known, no such number, no such street, other carrier endorsed. This processing of undeliverable mail in the PM is supposed to take place at your case. Management will try to convince you that when you walk in the door that you're supposed to grab this handful of mail, walk over to the throwback case or whatever you call it in your area, and simply put it in there right then. That you should have already done it on the street. It is not a street function to separate mail out on the street. It is an office function. Your handbook tells you it's an office function. But in order to properly process it, you have to take it back to your case. Because every case in the bottom right-hand corner is the mail separations. In the bottom right-hand corner will be your separation slots for what I was mentioning a minute ago. For your undeliverable as addressed, attempted not known. Those separations are right there. So the mail that you picked up needs to be processed at your case, putting it in those slots. Once you have processed it, then you will take it to the appropriate throwback section and put it in its designated allocated area. So you bring your mail back. You bring your hold mail back to the case. You put that hold mail up unless there's a designated area for hold mail and it can't fit there at the carrier's case. 
But section four tells you to follow procedure in part two, uh, part 24 of the M41 handbook. It goes on to say the pecking order of chapter four, answer official communications, and then end your tour of duty. Article eight addresses wash-up time. A lot of local memorandums of understandings for your, uh, for your installation or your station has a local. Wash-up time is allocated in your locals. We perform a dirty job. We're out there delivering dirty mail, performing dirty work. When we come back from our day's hard work, we're allowed to clean up, to go into the restroom and wash our hands, to wash our face off, to clean up from a hard day's work. That time is allocated in the PM as well. So if management is prohibiting you from doing these things, you need to file a grievance. If they're forcing you to clock off prior to doing any disposition of that mail, you need a curtail slip of 1571 protecting you. If they won't give you one, see a shop steward. Write your shop steward a statement. If anybody else is around during that time, you need to ask them to write a statement and you need to file a grievance and make this stop. They are required to give you a curtailment slip. It's required in the M39 handbook, management's handbook, to give you a curtailment slip. I'll also have Jeremy put up a grievance starter that will help address how to handle PM office duties. And this is a simple issue statement. But it just goes, did management violate Chapter 4 of the M41 handbook? That's going to be via Article 19 of our national agreement. By instructing letter carriers not to perform PM office duties in accordance with the M41 handbook, and if so, what should the appropriate remedy be? You'll have your facts that letter carriers name so-and-so, and you'll list those names, delivered routes. You'll list those routes on dates, and you'll put your date. Chapter 4 handbook has the following pecking order that we just went over. And then the next fact will be, on this date, these letter carriers were instructed by supervisor, whoever, not to perform some of the required daily PM office duties contained in Chapter 4 of the M41 handbook. And then you'll want to explain those specifics. Okay, you need to make sure your brothers and sisters need to explain exactly what they were prohibited from doing. A lot of times you'll see a brother or sister of ours out there, they'll say, well, you know, I really don't want to make them mad. I don't want to piss them off. I don't want them to mess with me. They're fucking with you right now. And that's that's what gets me frustrated with the letter carriers sometimes is I love them. I want to be there for them. I want to represent them. I want them to let me help them. They need to understand they're jacking with you right now. What gets a management official off a letter carrier quicker than anything else could possibly is a grievance. Is a grievance, a documented proof that they were wrong, that they committed a contractual violation, and that they were messing with this person. And now we got documented proof that could potentially lead up to inappropriate behavior. We want to document these things. We don't want one day down the road that we say, this supervisor's been doing this forever. Oh, really? So how many grievances you got? Well, none. We don't want that. We want to be able to document when management is going outside our contractual guidelines. And we do that through a grievance. So you need to educate your brother or sister. Hey, let me help you. 
Write me a statement. Tell me exactly what they prohibited you from doing. Tell me what they said. Tell me if they made, how they made you feel. Where did this take place? Did anybody witness it? Was anybody else around? Get involved with your brother or sister. Make them feel like the most important person that you've ever met and that you're going to take care of them and you're going to file a grievance and you're going to get a successful outcome for them. We want management to cease and desist this behavior. We want them to cease and desist violating Chapter 4 of the M41 Handbook via Article 9 of the National Agreement. We can ask for an incentive to ensure future compliance, maybe a monetary award that letter carriers be paid a lump sum of $25 as an incentive for management to ensure future compliance. And then any time that you have any type of remedy, that involves a payment or adjustment or anything like that, you need to identify in your resolution, whether it's handwritten, whether it's typed, whatever it is, you want to be able to lock the door, throw the key inside, and slam the door closed when you're done with a grievance resolution. And you do that by making management provide payments and adjustments within a specific time period. That all payments will be processed within 14 days, from this decision and proof of payment will be provided to shop steward, whoever, within that time. That way, they are on the clock. You've got a successful resolution, you've got a monetary payment coming to your brother or sister, and you've got a requirement on management that they're now going to have to get you that payment within 14 days, and if they don't, you're going to be standing there on day 15 with a grievance. And you're going to take them to task again for failing to comply with what they said they was going to do. Okay, so that that kind of covers PM office duty. Uh, get familiar with Chapter Four of your M41, especially the part where it talks about processing all undeliverable mail. That takes place at a letter carrier's case. Okay, they take they take that undeliverable mail back to that separation case at the bottom right hand corner, and they put that mail in that slots, identify it to what appropriate destination it should go, and then they take it to the throwback case. Like I said, if these things can be done within two or three minutes and that's all you got, then clock out and go home. If they take longer and management's telling you you got to have five minutes or less or you got to be off the clock, then you need to grieve that. And no, rule number one, <laughs> anytime management says you know you got to be off the clock within five minutes, say, if you don't mind, just so I can learn. And I could be the best letter carrier that I could be. Do you mind printing that off for me? Just so I can learn. Just so I can be as smart as you. And wait for the look that they're going to give you. Because 95% of the time, if not up to 99% of the time, anytime management says this is what is supposed to be doing, happening is a complete falsehood. Complete untruth. But it's... Anytime management says they have something, anytime management says you know the rule, ask them to provide it for you, if you don't mind. And I always do it sarcastically, politely. If you do not mind, could you print that off? I would like to review it so I could also learn and be up to date on all the policies that we have moving forward. Anytime they say something, you always request it. Say, I'd like to see that too. All right, <clears throat> two down, <laughs> three to go of the Bob Ross <laughs> happy painting trails on from A to arbitration. 
I don't know if any of y'all have ever seen Bob Ross, and uh, you're fixing to see a, a similar version of him on the website from Ada Arbitration. I have been Photoshop uh, with the classic of all classic afros, and I, I do not vote well with an afro. I look, <laughs> I look horrendous. But anyhow, uh, Bob Ross was the most polite soft-spoken painter that you could ever imagine in your life and so again uh, I find it very comical that you know that I follow Corey in so many of these episodes and it's like ah dog you know this <laughs> listening before you're like mf this and f that and f this and he can kiss my and tell this supervisor here and you're like all right then JB comes on it's like how you doing everybody but nevertheless we're uh we're having a good time so we got the third part of salted peanuts Bob Ross edition and this is by request. <clears throat> well, the other two were by request, but this was by special request. How about that? This was from an individual all the way out in California from the West Coast. Appreciate you reaching out. Unfortunately, um, this is a topic that I do not have a vast amount of knowledge of, but I was able to put something together through regional trainings that I've been to, things that I've been a, a part of, and I was able to compile at least a good basis for information. And this really is just an information portion. But our brother out in California by the name of Daniel had asked if we could put something on the website or something on the podcast, and I'm going to put this on the website, but information about PTFs. Like so many CCAs in this country, um, through the hard work of the NALC and um, been able to be converted to PTFs, and many installations are hiring in as straight PTFs, an all-career workforce in that installation, and that's, that's fantastic. That is ultimately what I would love to see come out of collective bargaining. I would love to see back... Uh, going back to the all-career workforce, an incentive to come to the Postal Service. But my man Daniel had asked, could you just put out some information regarding the difference between CCAs and PTFs? A lot of CCAs upon conversion or uh, conversion to PTFs are unfamiliar with the difference. And I was unfamiliar too, but I was fortunate enough to have attended some training in the past, had some resources that I was able to put together. So this is just informative. This is reading. And so while uh, if, it, if it's beneficial to you, then great. What is a PTF? A PTFs are career employees who, par who are a part of the regular workforce. PTFs have flexible hours rather than a fixed schedule. PTFs are identified by the USPS Designation Activity Code 43-4 on their PS Form 50. And that 43-4 will also be in the designated activity co Designation Activity Code that I was talking about in tax earlier. Full-time regulars are 13-4, CCAs are 84-4, and PTFs are identified with 43-4. That's how you'll be able to designate or distinguish individuals in your station. PTFs do earn sick leave. As a CCA, if you was a CCA, you know you do not earn sick leave. You just accrue annual leave. But as a PTF, you will actually accrue sick leave. PTFs can carry over annual leave. That's something different than the CCA craft. 
um, when they cash out your annual leave at the end of your 360-day term before you take a five-day break. As a PTF, you will actually be able to carry over that annual leave uh, allotment that you have. USPS contributions to retirement. Increased portion in the FEHB. You actually have seniority instead of relative standing. Management should be utilizing PTFs at the straight time rate prior to CCAs at the straight time rate. As long as a PTF works 40 hours, there would be no violation of Article 7.1.C.4. Article 8 provisions and PTFs, how they work together. Article 8.8.C, same daily work hour guarantees as CCAs. Article 8.6, PTFs do receive Sunday premium payment. On page 8-26 of the JCAM, when a PTF is notified prior to clocking out that they should return within two hours, no new guarantee applies. If they are notified to return after two hours, they are entitled to the appropriate guarantee for the first shift and a two-hour guarantee for the second shift. Goes on to state, a PTF who clocks out and leaves the premises is entitled to a four-hour guarantee if called back to work. Article 9 provisions and PTFs. Article 9.1, PTFs with career appointments after January 12, 2013 are paid according to the rates and waiting periods in Table 2. PTFs are paid on an hourly, not annual basis. Article 9.3.D, PTFs are eligible for COLAs. The current pay tables can be viewed at NALC.org. Article 10 provisions and PTFs. Annual leave is earned based on years of career service. First three years is same accrual rate as CCAs. Sick leave is earned based on number of hours and a pay status. One hour for every 20 hours and a pay status with a maximum of 104 hours per leave year. PTFs are eligible for court leave if they would have been in a work or annual leave status. If a CCA has at least 90 days of service prior to conversion to career, there is no qualifying period for using earned annual leave. Find that on page 188 of the National Agreement. Article 11 provisions and PTFs. PTFs do not receive holiday pay per se. Rather than basing a PTF's hourly rate on a 2,080-hour work year, it is based on a 2,000-hour work year and this calculation results in a higher hourly straight time rate for PTFs, which offsets the lack of paid holidays. The additional holiday portion of a PTF's hourly rate is not used when calculating overtime or Sunday premium. Article 41 provisions and PTFs. Full-time reserve, unassigned regulars, and PTFs have first preference for ops hold downs, whichever one you call them, but for opting and hold down purposes, they have the first preference before CCAs. Ops are awarded based on seniority. The same opting rules apply to both C uh, PTFs and CCAs. Once converted to a full-time regular, employees may choose to voluntarily end the opt and assume their new assignment 
and that's page 226 of the National Agreement. There's some additional benefits for being a PTF. PTFs can transfer, provided applicable lock-in periods are met from pages 189 to 192 of the National Agreement. Article 13, light duty. It applies to PTFs. PTFs have 60 days to enroll in an FEHB plan. PTFs are automatically enrolled in FEGLI. For basic life insurance, coverage, additional coverage is available at the employer's expense. PTFs are enrolled in FERS, which has three components. FERS Basic Benefit Plan, Social Security, and Thrift Savings Plan, TSP. The Basic Benefit Plan and Social Security are defined benefits, while the TSP is similar to the 401k plan. USPS automatically contributes 1% of base pay and matches up to 5% for TSP plans. PTS will be automatically enrolled in TSP at 3% unless changed by employee. So Daniel, my friend, that's some information that I was able to put together and I will have Jeremy also put that up on the website for quick reference. Um, I hope that's beneficial. I'm very, very excited for these installations that are now changing to an all-career workforce that are hiring in as PTFs, and hopefully that is a big incentive for individuals out in your geographical locations to become a letter carrier for the Postal Service. So uh, that's going to conclude the Bob Ross Salted Peanuts edition, and I want to thank each and everybody again out there, each and everybody that is on the constant forefront to represent our brothers and sisters day in and day out, trying to become the best that they can be, being the best shop steward, being the best formula representative, uh, being the best advocate that you can be. I have the utmost respect for each and every one of my brothers and sisters. I do have a love affair for representing letter carriers. Again, what a historic win. Congratulations, Memphis. Congratulations, Tennessee, Region 8, everybody that was involved. Uh, Jason Ashley, fantastic job. A tremendous individual that has a heart for the letter carrier that went down, investigated, put together a case file, arbitration worthy. And I'm telling you, I know he'll never say it, but I cannot thank Corey Walton enough for what he does, for the passion that he not only displays uh, on this podcast, it is a fraction of the passion and the attention to detail and the love that he has giving a letter carrier or a case everything he has in arbitration. Uh, again, no disrespect to any other advocate out there in this country. It is just simply uh, somebody that I've seen time and time again put in the work, put in the effort, the amount of time, again, that he dedicates night and night and night and weekend after weekend to each case, um, it's, it's amazing. And we're blessed to have him here in Region 8. I've been blessed to have him as a friend. Again, there's no, no money laying on the table. It's just something that I felt uh, very compelled to say. Listen to the episode. A lot of congratulations to Jay, 
Steve, our business agent, for for putting that. Um, you know, for our business agent making that a priority for Jay going down there and doing the thing that he had to do and to get that ready. But for for the amount of time that I know my dear friend put into that case and for what he's done for our region. Um, I'm hopeful for 10 more years of it. He says he's got 10 more. I'd like to see him get 10 more. But um, he's an ace. He is an ace in the hole. He is a management tyrant. And I remember going down in TA for a case one time, and I remember the branch president said, Oh, Corey, they don't like it when you come down here. And I remember him saying, Well, if they did, I wasn't doing my damn job, would I? <laughs> and so... Anyways, uh, I'm not going to keep harping on the same thing, but just I couldn't be more proud uh, for my dear friend. That's a monumental wall hanger. I mean, that is historic, and so good for him. Well-deserved. Again, everybody, don't know what the next one has in store. I am trying my best, and I know I've forgotten. I know I haven't gotten to everybody. The amount that's coming in right now is is amazing, and it just, you know, I'm trying my best to get to everybody, so just keep Keep reaching out. I'll do my best to provide anything and everything that I can. I love each and every one of you. I love my union. I love my brothers and sisters. And it's been nothing more than a privilege to serve, and I look forward to keep on serving. So again, till the next time, I thank each and every one of you. Keep being the badasses that you are. Keep filing grievances. Keep representing. Keep educating. Get knowledgeable, but don't ever let that love affair for being there for your brothers and sisters die. Stick together in unity and solidarity. I love y'all. I'm out. <laughs> All right. That's the man himself, <laughs> Mr. Bob Ross, a.k.a. JB. <laughs> that's a funny story. But, uh, hey, I love that guy. I love that guy. Uh, he's about the letter carrier, man, and a beast a beast of a union representative at any at any level i mean a damn beast son i wish you could see him in arbitration i wish you could see him how he handles management in private meetings mm. he's gifted he's talented he's a, he's a star but anyway there you have it salted peanuts from jb aka bob ross and uh, next week i'll be on probably do another um salted peanuts there's eight million things got to get to so, and then I believe uh, John Poskin will be on maybe the next week. Uh, I'll have to go out of town on a Sunday, got regional training. I'll be going down four, um, so I will not do on that Sunday. I believe that's the 12th. And then I believe Mr. Poskin will be on the week after that, the 19th. I think that's what's going on. And he'll have a very good episode for you as well. So, there you have it. Salted Peanuts from Bob Ross. Y'all have a fantastic rest of the week, and I'll talk to y'all later. Bye.